Good morning. My name is Russ DeVos, and I'm the founder of Catalyst Ministries. And I'm here in my office at the back of our property in Seattle, Washington. And this morning, I want to share a little bit from a conversation that I had with a group of men that I pray with on Thursday mornings via Zoom. And uh, we initiated the prayer meeting with the chapter 11 of the book of Psalms. And this chapter elicited conversation that I think was well worth sharing with you. And so I want to walk through the seven verses of that chapter and pull out seven different thoughts. I've entitled this talk, if you want to give it a title, Seven Things to Do When Society Comes Unhinged. And so I want to walk through the chapter and bear those out, and I'm hoping and praying that uh, it encourages you, inspires you, and gives you a bit of a roadmap and some clarity how to navigate the craziness uh, that is our world at this time. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dive into the Word, and I would encourage you to grab your Bibles if you have one, and uh, we're going to do some Bible study. So let me pray. Father, we give you this time right now, and we ask for your Spirit to teach us Bring the word to life. I pray anybody hearing my voice, Lord God, will sense and know that you are real, that your word is living and powerful, and that the truth spoken will penetrate their hearts, bringing life and energy and joy and hope for the future, Lord God. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bible. And I'm going to read through uh, Psalm chapter 11. Here we go. In the Lord I take refuge. This is a Psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids behold, excuse me, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Psalm 11. I want to bring out seven different actions, seven things that we can do when society comes unhinged. And I want to give just kind of the background of this psalm. This psalm is based on a conversation that David obviously had with someone or some group, or potentially even with himself in, in his own mind and heart, during a time of difficulty, during a time of trial, during a time when obviously he was in turmoil. And so as we read the first three verses again, I want you to understand this is a conversation. This is David listening to somebody speaking to him, speaking into his life. 
there are three things, actually four, that we want to take away from this and four actions that we want to embrace during a time when society is coming unhinged. Number one, recognize the voices stirring up fear. Recognize voices stirring up fear because this is exactly what was going on with David. Someone was saying to David in his time of turmoil, flee as a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright of heart. Real encouraging stuff. Just injecting fear into David's heart. Then they kind of finalize their statement by saying, if the foundations are destroyed, and what that literally means, if the supporting pillars, if those who uphold righteousness, this is figurative of leadership that upholds what is right, if they're removed, if they're ruined, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Essentially, we, we, we got nothing. We're done. We're finished. And so whoever the voices were, whoever the people were, advisors, friends, family, his own inner dialogues, whatever the case, it was injecting a lot of fear into David. And so the encouragement for you and for me during a time when society is coming unhinged, and that's literally what verse 3 means, if the foundations are destroyed. Matthew Henry, the commentator, put it this way, and that's exactly what I've titled the message. He says, you could say, if the civic state of government is unhinged and all out of course, what can the righteous do? And so this group, this entity, was painting a picture for David that was very dark. First thing we do in a, in a, in a period of time when culture, when society is coming unhinged, is recognize voices stirring up fear in us. Who do you allow to speak into your life? This is a very, very powerful question. Who do you allow to speak into your life? You've got to develop, and I've got to develop, a filter for who gets to speak into our life. I'm realizing this in my own life with my wife. My wife is exceedingly positive, but I, under the guise of needing to be informed, likely watch too much news. And what it's ending up doing and what it has the tendency to do, and I think you can bear witness with this, is infuse me and infect me with negativity that results in anger often, of course, fear, bitterness, and even feelings and thoughts of that, that are even bordering on hatred. So in a time when culture is coming unhinged, don't jump on the bandwagon. Filter that fear. Recognize who the voices in your life are that are infusing you with fear. Filter it. Say no to it. With my wife and our relationship, I've had to realize I've got to control my tongue. I've got to understand that what I'm doing is not bringing life to our household. It's bringing death in many cases. So the first one is recognize the voices that are infusing you with fear. Number two, reject the tendency to go into self-protection mode. Reject the tendency to go into self-protection mode. Here's what they were telling David. They were saying to him, flee as a bird to your mountain. Well, David wasn't a bird to begin with. David was a warrior. Our identity isn't a bird. We have a lot of birds in our yard, just in front of me. 
and we do a lot of yard work. We're out in our yard a lot. And I will tell you this, what do birds do? They flit and flee at an instant. One movement, they're gone. Our identity as men and women of God is not to be a bird that at the slightest indication of danger, <laughs> turmoil, whatever the case, we just flit off, we flee. But this was the advice being given to David. Flee to the mountains like a bird. And here's my thought about this. We are living in a society right now <coughs> that is so racked with fear, people are becoming very self-preservationist. I don't even know if that's a word, but they're, they're retreating into self-preservation. Not everybody, but many. And I, I, can, I go on prayer walks and people will walk way around me on the sidewalk in fear of infection, in fear of disease, whatever the case might be. But we are retreating. We are, the tendency is when we are being filled with fear, when society is, is having issues, is to retreat and go into self-preservation mode. And this was the advice that David was getting. Run for the hills. Lock and load. Store and stock. <laughs> stockpile. Fend for yourself. Hunker down. Preserve your life. In stark contrast to that, Jesus gave us a very different message. He knew when he came into the world at an early age that he was headed for the cross. He knew that his life was going to result in death and ultimately resurrection, but he came to die. And his statement was this. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And here's the reality, y'all, and that is this. If we preserve our lives, we lose our lives. Jesus said, if you hold on to your life, you will lose your life. Whatever we try to grab and hold on to with, an with a closed fist ends up being lost. The way to save your life, to make your life count, is to open your heart and serve. It is not to preserve. It's not to go into self-preservation mode. Keep your heart open in the time in this time of history when our society is, is a bit crazy. Serve, serve, serve. Don't self-preserve. Number three. So number one is recognize the voice of fear. Number two, reject the tendency to go into self-preservation mode. Number three, refuse to be a victim. Refuse to be a victim. Here's what they were saying to David. They're saying, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Essentially, they're saying, David, the only thing you can really do is run for the hills. Preserve your life. You're a victim. They're coming after you. Things are falling apart. The foundations are gone. What can you do? Run, flee, preserve, hunker down. We are not called to be victims. We are not called to be victims. We are not victims. The Bible is very clear that we represent a different kingdom. We are here representing the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of life. We're not victims. What God has done to us through the, through the death and resurrection of Jesus in forgiving our sins, transforming our lives, giving us new life is fantastic. We are not victims. And if you don't guard your ears and eyes from fearful messages, 
If you allow yourself to go into self-preservation mode, before you know it, you're all in a fetal position as a victim. What can I do? It's too late. The Titanic is sinking. We're too far gone. We're going to hell in a handbasket. And we begin to allow these kind of mindsets to set in and take over. And the joy just goes away. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what energizes us and keeps us going. Reject the tendency to be a victim, to take on a victim mindset. We're not victims. I love what Daniel 11.32 says. Now, Daniel is seeing a prophecy of end times, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But in the middle of it, he makes this statement. He says this, but the people, but in the middle of all of this, it's a contrast, in the middle of all the craziness, the people who know their God will be strong and take action. That's good. In the middle of all the craziness, those who know their God, they know God, will be strong and take action. Joseph Parker was a powerful man of God years and years ago, a pastor in London, and he wrote a book called Therefore Stand. And in that, in that book, he has a quote that I have written in the flyleaf of my Bible. I've had it there for over 30 years. It says this, the days are evil. Evil days create opportunities for God-sent men and women. Read it again. The days are evil, but evil days create opportunities for God-sent men and women. Brothers and sisters, there's more opportunity right now than we've ever had to love, to serve, to speak life, to speak hope. We're not victims. <laughs> We're not victims. Here's what missionary C.T. Studd said, and just so you know who he is, he was at uh, the time where he was alive back in the early 18, uh, late 1800s. He was potentially the greatest cricket player in the world. And he was also, he came from a very wealthy family and left his complete inheritance to go as a missionary to initially China and then India. And he finished his life and died in Africa. But he was a radical. He was a revolutionary. This man was not a victim. And he made this statement. He said, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. But he says, I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. That is not a victim. That is someone who has resolved and refused to be a victim. He lived with pain much of the, the last part of his life. He was in pain, was on painkillers, but he kept serving, serving, serving. He refused to be a victim. So number three, refused to be a victim. Number four, resolve to take refuge in the Lord. Now this is how we start the psalm. David makes a bold declaration. He says, in the Lord I take refuge refuge. Literally in the Hebrew, that could be interpreted and literally it could have said very, just as easily, to the Lord I flee for protection. So in contrast with the advice that he's been given by all these naysayers, flee to the mountains, David is saying, no way, I flee to the Lord for protection. I That, that could also be translated, I hope in the Lord, I trust in the Lord, or exactly what it says here, in the Lord I take refuge. Now, this is very very, very interesting because in Jeremiah 3.23, here's what the Lord says about the mountains. 
David has been in being encouraged probably or possibly by well-meaning advisors to flee to the mountains. Here's what the Lord says about the mountains. And this is why we need people in our lives who know the word of God. We need to know the word of God because there are a lot of good people, well-meaning people who give us garbage advice. <laughs> and that was what was happening to David, he was being given very bad advice. Here's what Jeremiah says about the mountains. It says, certainly, absolutely, the hills are a deception. Commotion on the mountains. Certainly, without a doubt, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. What is he saying? The hills, the mountains are a deception. They're a deception. What is this saying? Anything that we look to, anything that we run to, anything that we put our hope in, anything that we place our trust in, anything that we look to for refuge that is not God himself is a deception. It's a deception. Just let that sink in. What are we looking to in this time of craziness? Politicians? leaders to rise up, our bank account, our business, our home, our spouse, our kid, what we could be looking to all sorts of different things. Alcohol, drugs, that has spiked dramatically during this time. Anything that we look to for refuge, that we run to for protection that is not God himself is a deception. Here's what Psalm 121 says. David starts by saying this, I will raise my eyes to the mountains. He's in trouble again. And this betrays and, and identifies what is a natural first tendency for us when we get in times of trouble. We automatically look to something out there to protect us. And here's what David's doing, but he corrects himself. And you'll see in a second, he says, I will raise my eyes to the mountains. Then he asks, where does my help come from? It's almost like he's checking himself. Then he corrects himself and he says this, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, where the mountains and the hills are. I'm not going to run to the mountains and the hills. They're a deception. I'm going to run to the maker of the mountains of the hills. And then he goes on to describe who this maker of the mountains and the hills is. It says, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You guys, God never takes a break. God never falls asleep at the wheel. <laughs> He's watching, protecting, looking out for us 24-7. That's powerful stuff. He goes on to say, the Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. The sun will not beat down on you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord, Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going in, or going out, and your coming in from this time and forevermore. And so David's declaration was, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I run for protection or to the Lord I run for protection. So resolve in these times of craziness, resolve, make it a firm declaration, put it in your bathroom, on your refrigerator, in your car, wherever you need to put it, put it on a three by five card, carry it in your pocket. 
I will run to the Lord. I will look to the Lord for protection. I will look to the Lord for my refuge. I will hope in the Lord. Write those things down and fill your heart and mind with that. Resolve to take refuge in the Lord. Number five, remember the temple. At this point, verse four, the whole conversation changes. It shifts from recounting the conversation that was fear-based and David jumps to a completely different stratosphere of thought. It's almost like Romans 12, 2 playing out in real life where it says, don't be conformed to the world, think, verses 1 through 3, but be transformed. That means to rise above by the renewing of your mind. And what does David do? He rises above the world, think, the fear funnel, the fire hose of fear that is being that he's being blasted with and he rises to a different way of thinking remember the throne here's what he says in verse 4 he says the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven david was keenly aware of the throne of god what does the throne symbolize or indicate authority power sovereignty leadership and here in Psalm 11, David was keenly aware of the throne of God, the authority of God, the sovereignty of God. He knew God. He understood that God was in charge. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 4. You have the apostle John being given a vision in chapter 4, verse 1. He's being drawn up to heaven in a vision. He walks through a door, and the first thing he sees when he walks into the house of heaven through the front door is a throne established, set in heaven. The first thing he sees is a throne. And from chapter 4, verse 1 to the end of Revelation 22, the throne is mentioned 37 times. Here is the powerful truth to take away right now, and that is this. The throne represents God's absolute control. Absolute, sovereign, divine, powerful oversight of everything. And the reality is that everything that goes on on this planet originates at the throne. It flows out from the throne, and then it reports back to the throne. The Bible says very clearly that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants to. God is in control of politics, leadership. He's in control of that whole realm. Then the Bible says very clearly that God raises up who he will and he puts down who he will. God is in charge of promotions. God is in charge of demotions. And here's the last thing I'll share in this point. That is this, that Satan himself is on a leash. Satan is not God. He doesn't have omnipotence like God, not even close. He's on a very short leash. Any authority that he has, God has given it to him. He can only do inside of that boundary that God has provided for him or allowed for him to function in. He's on a short leash and his time is short. So remember the throne, you guys. Remember the throne. As we are in a time of craziness, Remember that God is on the throne. He's completely in charge. 
Number five. Number six. Realize that this is a test. Let's read four and five. The last part of four says this. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. Realize that this is a test. When we are in periods of time like this, when things are coming unhinged, when we feel chaos is the way of normal way of life, when our life is turned upside down, and when we see the foundations eroding, understand that this is the prime time when God is looking for men and women who will not retreat. Men and women who will rise up. Men and women who will trust him, run to him, place their hope in him. Let me give you a classic example of what this looks like in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. And I'm going to summarize a lot of it, but uh, this is a classic story of King Asa. King Asa was one of the kings who loved God, served God, followed God. But early on in his kingship, he was attacked by a one million man army. His army was only half that big. So he was outnumbered two to one. He understood that if God didn't get involved, it would be a wipeout in all likelihood. So here's what he says. In that moment of crisis, when many voices would be saying, flee to the mountains. <laughs> what can you do? They're coming for you. Here's what he says. It says, he called out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, and this is a powerful prayer, simple but powerful. Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Us. <laughs> so help us, Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O oh Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. He understood that the nation of Israel that he was ruling over, King Asa, belonged to the Lord. And if they were going to attack these, his people that he ruled over, they were attacking God. He says, we trust in you. Let no man prevail against you. And it says in verse 12 of chapter 14, the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and they fled. Powerful. A prophet came to Asa not long after that and wanted to kind of put a cap on the whole battle. What is the lesson to be learned? And here's what he said to Asa. He said, Asa, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Fast forward many years later, another army comes against Asa. What does he do? Well, unfortunately, he empties out his bank account and goes down to rent an army. And he hires a foreign army to come and fight on his behalf. Does he pray? No. Does he run to the Lord for protection? No. Does he run to the Lord to seek refuge? No. Does he hope in the Lord? No. Does he trust the Lord? No. And another prophet comes to Asa and says this, because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, 
Therefore, the army of King Aram has escaped out of your hand. This very army that he rented would become a thorn in his side. Then he goes on to say, you routed that first army because you relied on the Lord. He delivered them into your hand. And then 16 verse 9, this is the crowning verse that ties back into Psalm chapter 11. He says this, for the eyes of the Lord move back and forth to and fro across the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. In Psalm 11, we have the picture of God squinting. It says, his eyes behold and his eyelids test the sons of men. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, when it talks about eyes, that is God observing, seeing the big picture. God sees everything. And in this passage, he's testing the righteous and the wicked. Let me just say this very quickly. All that is going on in the darkness, in the shadows, God sees it all. And no one gets away with anything. My prayer as a man of God and as someone who loves Jesus is that those people would come out of the darkness into the light and come to Jesus and be saved. Even though they embrace ways of thinking, ways of acting, etc., that don't square with Scripture or, or what I believe Scripture teach, I believe we love them, we pray for them, we ask God to bring them to repentance, we ask God to change them and to bring them the hope and life and love and forgiveness that we've experienced. God sees everything. But it says his eyelids observe the sons of men. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, that means God's squinting. That means that he is observing acutely, that he is analyzing, that he is searching for something, that he is studying something. What is he studying? Well, we see it in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. He's looking for men and women who in a time of crisis will put their full trust in him, will not run to the mountains, will not rely on things that are deceptions, but will rise up, hearts fully his, just as Asa did the first time and say, oh God, the battle is yours. If you, They're fighting not us, they're fighting you. We put our trust in you. Fight for us, O oh God. Men and women whose heart is completely his, he brings all of his favor, all of his force, all of his authority, all of his power to bear through, that, through those people. That's powerful stuff. God is looking for men and women who he can say, you're one, you're one. He's looking east and west, north and south to find hearts that are fully his. So we ask, what can we do in a time when society is coming unhinged? We can give our hearts fully to Jesus. <laughs> Commit 100%, all out, no holds barred, no corners that we keep secret. We open our heart fully to him and say, I'm yours, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm all yours. I'm not just a Sunday Christian. I'm not just a Christian by name. I'm not just a follower of Jesus because of the culture uh, that I live in or the family I grew up in or the church that I go to. I'm all yours 24-7 every day. That's who God is looking for. Now, here's the final thought. Number seven, rise up, don't retreat. Rise up, don't retreat. Rise up instead of retreating. 
Matthew Henry made this statement about this passage. He says this, Many are hindered from doing the service they might do in public difficulty because of despair of success. What does he mean? We have determined there's nothing we can do, and so we don't do anything. We have determined that we're just one small, tiny fish in the massive ocean of humanity. There's nothing we can do, and we don't do anything. This passage says, rise up, don't retreat. Rise up, don't go into that self-preservation fetal position. Rise up. There are people who need us. There are people who are depending on us to open our mouths, to speak truth, to speak life, to speak hope into them, to be able to tell them why it is that we have hope in the middle of this time. We rise up. Here's what it says in the last verse. It says in verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Oh, let's figure out what that means. First of all, the Lord loves righteousness. I just want to say this. We are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. I think we already covered this. We aren't righteous because we're good people. Those who God calls righteous are righteous because we have placed our faith in a good, perfect, and righteous Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross in our place. Our righteousness, the Bible says, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. It is worth nothing because it's filled with pride, it's filled with self-serving, it's filled with all sorts of motives and ugliness. But the righteousness of Jesus is perfect. And he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness as a gift. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, his righteousness, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we talk about the righteous, we're not talking about good people. Nobody's good. The Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. But there are those who have been made good by Jesus. And in verse 7, he talks about the upright. The upright we will behold his face. What are the upright? The upright are simply people who've been made good. As C.S. Lewis says, I'm just a beggar who's found bread helping other beggars to find bread. I'm one who's found righteousness helping other unrighteous people like I was find the righteousness that I found. The upright are those who are living the life. They're not just talking the talk. They're living the life. They've been changed. Jesus has cleansed them. He's put a new nature, new heart, new mind. He's transforming them. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. But they're living the life. They're not just talking the talk. Here's what it says. The upright will behold his face. Those who live the life, who place their trust in Jesus, it's not just words, it's actions. It says will behold his face. What does that mean? That literally has the connotation in the original language of someone turning towards another. God's eyes are looking, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he sees someone. Someone whose heart is completely his, and his head turns. He's caught God's eye. And in the scripture, when God's head turns and his eye lights upon you, Inevitably, it means he's going to pour his favor upon you. And the favor of God, brothers and sisters, is God's hand, his personality, his power, his gifts, his miracles. 
Miracles follow favor. Those miracles can look many different ways. Changed lives, breakthroughs in your marriage, in relationship, in person, in your own personal battles. It can look all sorts of ways. Financial health. It can look any way possible. But favor, miracles follow favor. And when God sees an upright, the, that person who's upright, his head swings around and his eyes light on you. Ah, I found one. And the favor of God flows. So let's summarize then once again. Seven things we can do as we watch society come unhinged. Number one, we recognize the voices that are filling us with fear and we filter them. We get rid of them. Number two, we reject the tendency to go into self-preservation and we keep serving. Keep serving. Keep our heart open. Number three, we refuse to be a victim. We're not victims. We're not victims. There's so much that we can do. Number four, we resolve to take refuge in the Lord. We're not going to look to the mountains that are a deception. We're not going to look outside of our relationship with God for our security. Our security is the rock, Jesus. <laughs> Number five, we're going to remember the temple. God is seated on his throne. Everything starts there and ends there. God is completely in charge. And number six, we realize this is a test. Times of difficulty are opportunities for men and women whose hearts are fully God's to rise up and to make a difference. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If you want to see the power of God at work, go to the darkest place, the darkest time of history, and insert yourself filled with the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God will flow right with you. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So we realize this is a test, and God is looking for people who he can use to be light and salt and speak life and hope. And finally, we rise up instead of retreating. And when we rise up, the head of God swings around, and his favor flows through us and out through us. We become a channel of God's favor. So it's not just a swamp enjoying blessing. We become a channel of God's blessing. And many others are blessed as a result. So you guys, we're in an amazing time. An amazing time. God is doing great things. Don't let the voices of fear fool you. Run to the Lord. He's your refuge. Build that relationship like you never have. Give him your whole heart and let him use you. Let me pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. It is a light unto our path a lamp unto our feet. It is alive, it is powerful, and it penetrates to the very core of us with that truth. We thank you for it. Lord, for those who know you, who have your righteousness that you've given them, may they rise up as men and women of God and step into this world to make a difference. For those who are watching, say, I don't have that righteousness. May they cry out to you right now, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sins. I give you everything I make you Lord, Savior, leader of my life. I will follow you with everything I have. Thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Have a great week. I will see you next week. God bless.